are living the rare life. No matter the distance. Episode three. I'm super excited because we have a super fantastic guest today. We have brought in Mary Morris. Uh, She is a fellow BBS mom, but she is like the original mom. Um, in the sense that she was one of Dr. Haas's first patients. I know I, you, when I first joined all the Facebook groups and stuff like that, I saw Mary's name everywhere. And I was like, okay, this is a lady that I need to get talking to. <laughs> I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to really get into that knowledge and learn her secrets. I think that's the thing is just sharing secrets with all the other moms. Just like with me and you, we find out something new every single day, no matter who we talk to. And it's good insight into, especially, I mean, for me and for you, Mary's daughter is older. So it's good to see older kids and how we can go through this as our kids grow up. 100% true. So without further ado, let's jump into this and let's meet Mary Morris. Um, Who are you and how has BBS affected you? My name is Mary Morris. Um, I have two daughters who have BBS 10. My older daughter, Ashley, is 29 now and my younger daughter is 21. We found out that she had BBS when she was 18 months old. Um, She was born with cystic kidneys and bright kidneys and had some kidney failure at birth. So she was on dialysis. Um, And we were lucky to have her be treated by Dr. Haas as her very first doctor. Um, We've been really lucky and they've done very, very well. Um, She was on dialysis for about her first six or eight weeks and then came off dialysis and her kidney lasted until she was seven. And then she had a kidney transplant. So we're doing great. Just, you know, living life. So you explained that like basically from the beginning and stuff. So that's where your journey started around 18 months. Yeah, that's when we knew she had BBS. So when she was born, well, before she was born, they said they he Dr. Haas said that he felt she probably had polycystic kidney disease. But then she was born with extra fingers and toes and she had a little dimple on her back. Her head looked a little different, slopey and ears and whatever. They just thought she looked a little dysmorphic, I guess, at birth. We didn't think so. We thought she looked just like our other kids. <laughs> Whoa, wait till they see them. <laughs> we have a whole bunch of dysmorphic kids then. Um, so they diagnosed her with Meckel-Gruber syndrome. And Meckel-Gruber syndrome is a horrible syndrome. So I had been medevac back to the United States. We were living in Germany and I came back on the medevac and I was in the hospital. Um, and it was, you know, never been to the city before to San Antonio. And so I stayed in the hospital and had a lot of time on my hands. And so what I did was spent my time in the medical library at the hospital. And I had seen pictures of Meckel-Gruber syndrome and it was awful. Um, and I'd seen pictures of Barty Beetle syndrome. And I was like, oh, you know, I should not take pictures of people without their clothes on number one, but it's a medical library. So I guess that was okay. But, you know, so I saw that too. They were grownups. So the pictures of Meckel-Gruber syndrome were all babies and babies that weren't alive anymore. So when they said she had Meckel-Gruber syndrome, of course I protested and said, well, she couldn't have that because, you know, the people don't live with that. You, you die before or shortly after birth. And here she was, you know, doing just fine. Um, but they were sure she had that until she turned 18 months old. And so she had gone into the hospital to have her extra fingers removed and she was really thirsty and still her, she got really dehydrated because she couldn't drink. And um, that kind of got Dr. Huss thinking, what else could it be? And so he sent her to an ophthalmologist and they saw that she had some, you know, she had pretty poor eyesight already. And um, that's when he diagnosed her with BBS. So that's how that came about. 
How did you meet Dr. Haas? Like, how did he come into this picture? Okay, so this is an interesting story. So like I said, I was living in Germany and they had never had an ultrasound machine before at the clinic we were at. Remember this was 1996 or 1993 rather. So it was a long time ago. And they were just getting their first ultrasound machine for pregnant ladies. In those days, ladies didn't have ultrasounds every, you know, six weeks or something to check the baby. We waited until they were born to see what happened. But they were getting an ultrasound machine and they needed people to volunteer to come in for an ultrasound so that they could practice. And I fell within that range in the right number of weeks that they wanted. And that's when they saw that she had the kidney issues. So then they said, you can't stay in, in Germany. You have to go back to the United States. Well, as luck would have it, that same month, this was the end of January in 1993, the beginning of January, 1993, Dr. Haas had completed his training in Dallas and moved down. He was in the military then to San Antonio and he opened an, a newborn dialysis clinic. So I was very lucky. So when we were, they were deciding where to send us, the, the rule in the military is that you have to go to the closest stateside base. Well, the closest one was Walter Reed, but they didn't have dialysis for newborns. And they felt that she would need dialysis because her kidneys looked bad. Um, so they took us all the way to San Antonio. And that first ultrasound, they bring me into the hospital. It was like, it was a pretty interesting trip, but they get me there finally and bring me to the hospital and right to the ultrasound room and in walks Dr. Haas. And of course I was afraid and I didn't fly well. And so it was, <laughs> it was a mess and he came in and they were doing the ultrasound and he just turned to me and he said, everything's going to be okay. And at that second, then everything was okay. <laughs> so that's kind of the story. He walked in, told me he's going to be okay. And I a hundred percent believed him and then following him around the country ever since. So here we are living in Marshfield. <laughs> that is an incredible story. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I would uh, like, I, I do want to say how amazing it is that, I mean, you and Mary have similar stories in the sense that the first thing they said was your child, it looks like your child has polycystic kidney disease. Yeah. And you had Dr. Hawes, who was amazing. Never, you know, never scare you, never tell you worst case. Like he just, he handled it so professionally and made you feel secure hmm. where with Jillian, she had the opposite, which we talked about in our first episode. And it's amazing it just, it highlights again, how amazing Dr. Haas is. Yeah. Sorry. It would have been nice to have a Dr. Haas <laughs> instead of this. I don't even remember her name. <laughs> she made well, me so mad. <laughs> we had a nice little group of, there were, well, Ashley was the second baby at, at um, Wilford Hall. That's the military hospital on dialysis. The second baby ever. The first baby was a few weeks older than her and, and her mother and I are still very good friends, but we would all the time say, we just don't have anything to worry about because we know Dr. Haas is up all night worrying for us. <laughs> He's covering all the bases, making sure everything's okay. So we knew it was going to be okay. And it was okay. Having that experience and Dr. Haas kind of relieving some of your worries, how did he change your outlook on kind of a genetic disorder on BBS? Because obviously that's a big thing and it was an even bigger thing back then. How did he kind of like affect 
how you felt about it? Well, for us, because they thought that she had Meckel-Gruber syndrome and up until she was 18 months old, that's what that, you know, we'd go to see any doctor and they'd say, oh, look, it's the Meckel baby. I'm like, she doesn't have Meckel-Gruber syndrome. Like I'd have to argue all the time that she doesn't have this. So by that time, when they, when Dr. Haas said, I'm hundred percent sure she has Bardet-Beetle syndrome, we were like, oh yeah, good. Because I could remember, I'd seen pictures of that. Those people are grownups. It's like that took a big weight off of my shoulders. Then just to have BBS was way better than what we could have had. So for us, we were, uh, we were happy. It's like, oh, good. That means that she's going to be an adult where we were still under that mindset that if she has Meckel-Gruber syndrome, something could go wrong at any second and she could die. And when the diagnosis changed, it was, it was good. Well, they, they told us, you know, she's going to be blind and she's going to have obesity and her kidneys are going to fail. And probably that's what's going to kill her. And we were like, well, if you're blind, that doesn't kill you. So you'll be blind. It was horrible, but it wasn't the end of the world. Um, I was sure I would never have a child who's obese because I was going to do a great job as a mother and, you know, not let her get overweight. And of course at 18 months, she was chunky, but it was normal for a chunky baby at that age. And the kidney failure, we had Dr. Haas. He wasn't going to let anything happen to her. He's, he's on, he's on call, right? Dr. Haas. So we didn't have a lot of worries then. Um, we didn't know how the vision would go, how fast it would progress, but it's not something that happens overnight. So your child loses a little bit of vision at a time. And my girls didn't even, they don't even really complain about it because it's just the way it is. They, they've lost vision and they've lost a lot of vision, but it's so gradual that they have really good visual memories. So that I think was the most distressing part was the vision at the time, because, you know, I knew Dr. Haas was working on the kidneys and for sure. I was the mom who wasn't going to have an overweight kid. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> Couldn't stop it. You were there when Dr. Haas started the Marshall Clinic. I don't know. Were, were you there when that came about? Were you one of the first families he treated there? Yeah. So I think that just for clarification, Dr. Haas didn't start the Marshville Clinic. So Marshfield is a little city in central Wisconsin. And in this tiny little town, there's a gigantic hospital. So the Marshville Clinic is this big hospital that's already here in this town. How he got here to Marshfield, he was in the military and then he separated and he moved to Utah. So he was doing pediatrics in Utah for a while and we would medevac our girls to Utah to see him. And and we went there, I think twice to see him in Utah. Then he moved to Phoenix. So then when he moved to Phoenix, we were in Mississippi and Ashley needed her kidney transplant. So we packed up and moved to Phoenix too. So that she would have Dr. Haas for her transplant. And then once she was transplanted, he took the job here in Marshfield. So he moved to Marshfield in, I think, 2003. And we were, you know, Marshfield, who would think that Marshfield would have this giant hospital? So we didn't know what it was all about. And he started coming to clinics, or rather to conferences for the Barde Beetle Syndrome Family Association. He started to come. And the reason we would invite him is because the nephrologists wouldn't know anything about BBS. They'd 
have a nephrologist there who would give us bad advice. Um, and I knew we had a better option. So I would invite Dr. Haas and he started to come to conferences. And I think that was 2006. He came to the first conference. I'm pretty sure. Well, in 2008, he came to conference and we were in Durham, North Carolina. And he heard Dr. Philip Beals, who was there at the conference speaking, talk about their hospital. And that was when the idea that, you know, everybody said, that's what we need. And that was when he kind of, when the idea was, was born to start a clinic for families with BBS here in the United States. So he's working in Marshfield, started this clinic for BBS. So it's, it's not a whole hospital for BBS, but there are providers from all the different specialties that he has brought on board who know about Barde Beetle syndrome. And he has a nice week long clinic. It started a week long clinic. Um, and we were in the first clinic, we came in the first clinic. Um, and we've just been coming back every year since then. So he has all these specialties lined up. They all know about BBS. You come in, you see a whole bunch of doctors all in one week and it kind of makes it easier for the rest of the year because now you don't need to go try to schedule all those appointments. And I know for me in Phoenix, there's plenty of doctors and there's none that care about BBS. And they didn't care that I have two girls with BBS. They'd make appointments on two different days for the two girls instead of the same day. And I'd try to get maybe ophthalmology and orthopedics on the same day and I'd get them scheduled and they'd always cancel them and change them. And then I'd have four appointments rather than one day appointment, you know, and it was frustrating. It was horrible. And I was a teacher and I'd have to take days off and I only get 10 days and it was impossible. So we started always coming to the hospital during the summer. And before Dr. Haas opened the BBS clinic here in Marshfield, um, we'd go to the National Institutes of Health because they had a study going on about BBS there. So we traveled there four or five times. And so our kind of our family joke is oh, it's summertime. Let's take a vacation to the hospital because that's what we'd always do is just try to get all the visits in that we could to save the, the rest of the year to make it easier. So he has this clinic open. People come from around the world to come to clinic here. Um, and it's wonderful. It, it's, it's just wonderful to walk into a doctor and have them say, well, hello, it's nice to, nice to see you. They know about BBS. And then they'd say things here in the Marshall Clinic. It's always nice because they'd say, well, I just spoke with Dr. Whoever, who you had just left their office. So he already knew what the last doctor had said. They communicate so well here. They they talk to each other. They make sure that they're doing what's best for the whole child, not just for their part of the child. So they don't care just about their eyes or just about their limbs or just about their heart. They care about the whole child. And that's what I think is the best part about coming here to the clinic. That must have been, I feel like our journeys are so, they sound so similar at the beginning, but I mean, back then there was no social media any of that like how did you find out about how to how to do all of this I mean I would have been lost without being able to find this stuff out online so it was it was a time it was back when it was the internet was at a really new thing we didn't have a computer at first you know nobody had a computer um and when they told us that Ashley has BBS you know they said that she's gonna be blind and obese and they also said you're the only ones it's very very rare there's nobody else I've never seen another patient like this you're the only only ones. And because they said she was going to lose her vision, um, I got in contact with uh, the Foundation Fighting Blindness. 
and they had a list of names. And back in the day, I don't know why, but they sent me this list of names. And there are about 20, maybe 25 names on the list of families that they knew of with BBS. Um, and so I started writing letters to all of these families, telling them that my daughter had BBS and, you know, we didn't know what to do. And I got in contact with a couple of the these original families. Um, and they were wonderful. And then they said, hey, we need a new newsletter writer. And I was like, it's me, it's me. <laughs> Thanks. I was so happy. And they were like, thank God somebody took that over because <laughs> it's really not that fun. But, and the, they're like, here's a new one. Give her something to do. It's so funny. Um, so then I heard that way back long ago, the Foundation Fighting Blindness would have a yearly conference and they would have a BBS room. So families with BBS could go to this conference. And it was a really kind of weird situation because they're like, well, give them this time tiny little room off around the corner. So nobody sees them. So then they would go meet these families with BBS. And of course they hit it off because families with BBS really get each other. Um, and Dr. Richard Lewis, he was the very first ophthalmologist who was doing studies into BBS. He's in Houston at Baylor and he's still working there now. He's an older gentleman. And he said that he wasn't happy with that. He didn't think that it was nice or fair to put BBS in a tiny little room around the corner. Know, away from the other guests so that they could have their little meeting there, you know? And so he started having a conference in Houston. So the first conference was in 2006, maybe. Um, maybe there was one before that. Um, but we would meet and it was, again, we'd go to fly to Houston, go to a hotel. He'd let us into his offices and we'd meet in his offices and then we'd have sandwiches and we would have just the greatest time ever. And he'd try to get speakers to help us. Well, there was nobody who could help us. They would tell us things that weren't helpful. And of course that made moms mad that they would tell us things that we knew wasn't true. And there was, you know, a lot of back and forth on that. So <laughs> then Dr. Lewis said about the year 2000, wait, let me think about this. Think this through. So it has to be before 2000 because my daughter was born in 2001 and he wanted us to become an association then. Um, and he called and asked if I could do that. And I told him I can't because Ashley needs her kidney and I'm going to have a baby. And I just, I can't take that on right now. And so he worked with John Weir and Nancy Shannon and Ruth Dameron, and they started a BBS association. And so that was the first board. And that board lasted, I think John said he would do it for four years. And then Ruth became president and I became vice president. And then Ruth did it for two years. And then I became president. And now it's turned over to Tim Ogden and he's been the president since then. So pretty much from the beginning. Um, and we've really grown and we've had great conferences and families have gotten together. Um, Tim Ogden was voted in as president. I knew that that Tim would be able to take the foundation places that, that I couldn't take it. I knew that we needed to do fundraising and the first board wasn't interested or willing to fundraise at all. Um, they said we didn't need to fundraise. There's no reason to fundraise. Remember back in those days, there was no, there was no test for BBS. Nobody knew what the genes of BBS were. It was just a clinical thing. Um, and so the, the, the age of research really started right before Tim took over and he had a son with BBS and he was very interested in his child, not losing his vision, not becoming obese and not having 
and kidney failure. Um, and he had a lot of connections. So he was voted in as president and he's done a really good job taking us to a whole new level of fundraising. Um, I'm going to real quick ask our next question because I think it's leading in that direction. Mm-hmm. How has social media changed the association and the connections that you've been making? It's changed it a whole lot because like I said, when we started, I had to write letters by hand to all these people and they would write letters back and they would send me pictures. And with those pictures and those letters of stories, I made a website. Uh, and back in those days, it was called Lawrence Moonbart at Bedell Syndrome. So LMBBS. So I started an LMBBS website and I posted pictures and stories for other families because I thought we felt really alone and we didn't like it. And if people could look and see, and we didn't know, I mean, we didn't know how things were going to go. We didn't know what was going to happen or how things would look. And if they could look at these stories and see that things are okay, then they would feel better on diagnosis. So I started this webpage. People would send me their stories and I would type it in and I learned how to do HTML. And my son was a computer nerd kid in high school. And he was like, you can do it, mom do it yourself. So I had to learn to do it. And I did. And we loved the page and people would find the page and then send an email. And that kind of grew the family that way. Well, then when email started to be a big thing, I know it probably sounds funny to you guys because email wasn't always a big thing. But when email started to be a big thing, Claudia Parker, who was involved from the very beginning with the foundation, with the, so it was a family association then, um, she started a listserv on email. And so we had a big listserv where we could email each other because there was no Facebook or anything like that. Um, and and that lasted for probably six years before we got a Facebook page. And Facebook has really changed it because now rather than people getting this horrible diagnosis and going home and not knowing what to do and having nobody to talk to, typically they either email the same day they got the diagnosis, find the Facebook page and get connected the same day, or they connect even before because they've researched enough to find BBS themselves on the internet and they have pretty much diagnosed their child themselves. And they're almost always right. So it's changed everything. So instead of being by yourself and being alone and being scared and having doctors come in and say, BBS, what's that? Nobody knows about that. Okay. You're the only one. Bye. We'll see you in a year. And you have no help to having other families that you can say, Hey, my kid just did this. And then you get all the mine did that. And mine didn't do that. And you should call a doctor. You don't need to call a doctor. All the good advice that you don't get from your mom because your mom doesn't understand. You don't get from your sister because your sister doesn't understand. But from these other moms that become your family that understand. I think you just said something huge and important was, yeah. you know, you can't get this advice from your mom. I know this was just as scary for my mom and just as hard for her to wrap her mind around as it was for my husband and myself, because these are their grandchildren. You know, this is my brother's nephews. This is, you know, this is family. And yeah, you can't go to them because it's just as big and scary to them as it is for you mm-hmm. in the beginning. So having the Facebook communities to, you know, look yeah. for and find um like it wasn't a oh my god your child's gonna die of kidney disease in a couple of years you know you guys really put it in perspective and made me see that this wasn't wasn't as scary as what the doctors were throwing at me right my so. favorite part is when there's a new family that finds the facebook page and says this is my kid and puts a picture and everybody's like oh my god that's the cutest baby in the world here's my pictures you know then we all start posting pictures of our kids and i think that that's such an emotional break 
breakthrough for parents to see us with other kids and see people saying, look, you think your kid's cute. Look at my kid. <laughs> my kid's super cute. And then when you do, if you ever get to come to the clinic, we would have family gatherings like every single night. And to see those kids together, they just, they get each other too. Where my daughter's in regular classrooms or even in their special ed classrooms, they just never connected with those kids, but they'll pull out their DS or their Pokemon book and the kids will just gather around and then before you know it, they're all laughing and it's they're just like they're the normal kids here at our clinic. And I think that's what for me as a parent is one of my favorite things. When you come to clinic, your kid is one of the normal kids and they have fun together and they look forward to seeing each other. And that's such a bonus. But I have another story about when Ashley, when she was three, maybe four, going to start kindergarten and we had to go have her evaluated, you know? And so the speech therapist was there to do the evaluation and she asked her a story. She wanted Ashley to tell her a story. And so Ashley told her this charming story about a baby dinosaur who got lost from her mommy and climbed up the tree and said, mommy, mommy, come and get me. And then the mommy dinosaur came and took her out of the tree and they all flew off together. And I'm like, oh my God, that was the best story ever. And the physical therapist or the speech therapist said, she doesn't have speech. She just told you this whole story. And I explained it to her and she said, it's not speech if other people can't understand it. And I'm like, so she told this whole story that I totally could hear and understand, but this lady wasn't tuned into her. Do you know what I mean? She couldn't understand what she was saying. And so I think that our kids talk a lot more than, than, than they're given credit for and that other people could maybe try a little harder. I think if they have a good teacher, a good teacher will understand them. I know that even now my girls at this age, 29 and 21, it's still very hard for me at times to understand them if I don't know the context of what they're talking about. So yeah. Ashley will, t- or Carly will tell me something. Usually it's Carly who tells me something and I don't know what she says. And then Ashley, I'll hear Ashley yell from the bedroom. She said this. <laughs> what is your best advice for families just coming into this journey? My best advice is to reach out. Um, don't believe everything that you hear from people that don't know about BBS. Listen to the families. You can get the best advice from the other mothers and you have good common sense. You know your child. You know what's normal for your child. And that is probably not what's normal for the normal regular child. So trust your instincts. If you feel something is wrong, keep on pushing at it. You're the best advocate for your child and you know your child better than anyone. And remember the the Facebook page is just a click away and you're going to meet so many parents who are on the same journey with you and they share these experiences. And the best part is they're maybe a little further down the road than you, but pretty soon you're going to be that mom or that dad who's a little further down the road to help someone else. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and being a part of this. We're so excited to Thank share you your story. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're so, I'm so glad to finally meet you. I think yeah. your name, what your posts were the first posts that I read, I think when I, when I joined uh, the PBS group, I just, it's really, I just don't want people to, to feel alone. I want them to know that, that you have a family out there that we all, we all think of each other as family. I mean, we get each other. That was so insightful. And I am so, I feel so blessed that we were able to have her on and get her opinions on certain matters and listen to her advice and see how far we have come, not just medically, but socially and how lucky and blessed we are to have the communities we have today. 
I can't believe like seeing how she connected with other moms, handwriting letters and stuff like that. Whereas I'm sure it was different for you. But when we got our diagnosis, the first thing I did was jump on Facebook and jump on Google. I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for her to not have those kinds of opportunities. A hundred percent. Five years ago when the boys were diagnosed, it was just jumping on uh, Facebook and finding the Facebook group and sharing the pictures of my boys and, you know, people being able to help and guide me. I couldn't imagine the fear of going at this alone. I know it's nice to not feel so alone, which again, like we always say is the reason we're doing this podcast is because nobody, all the people that are listening, all of our family, all of our friends, all of our BBS family, we're here for you. We're here to talk. Our Facebook, our Instagram are always open for messaging. We'll link that in our bio again, just so you guys can have that. And we really look forward to bringing on some new guests. Some of the people we have coming up, we have Dallas's uh, speech language pathologist and her communicative disorders assistant that are going to come on. We have another young woman with BBS and OCD that we're going to chat with who's doing a very big conference, which is super exciting. Uh, Laura, who else do we have coming up? We have Ruth coming on. She is spoke at conference um, and she is also uh, one of the original moms that started out with handwritten letters and emails. So Um, we have a lot to discuss with her. I think we're going to dive into speech this time and we'll be doing future podcasts with her as well. So I look forward to that one. Oh, we have that podcast with Molly coming up too. I'm so excited to have Molly on too. Molly is another BBS mama that her son just recently got diagnosed and she, yeah, we, I've been following her story on social media since before he got his diagnosis and She is so wonderful and so kind and has such great insight on the road that it takes, how difficult that journey is to get there. We're hoping to get an ophthalmologist on here. Hopefully we can get our Toronto ophthalmologist on here because her and Dr. Haas know each other. She's very well known in the BBS community. Totally. And I'm super excited for all these special and unique podcasts coming up. Um, remember our next podcast will be posted on the first, please understand that there are times in our life that things might go a little hectic, um, or sideways just because we do have sick kids. So I'm going to let you know if for some odd reason, any of the podcasts are late by a couple hours or a couple days, don't panic. Just realize that we are still BBS moms. This one is going to be posted a little later. We posted in our Facebook and our Instagram kind of what's going on. Laura had a big testing day with both of her boys yesterday that took her all day. We had kind of an emergency with Dallas that we're exploring and you can find that information on our Facebook and on our Instagram. And we'll try to keep you guys updated as often as we can about what's going on with the kiddos. And yeah, I'm just really excited about this podcast. I'm happy that everyone's listening. We love all of you guys and thank you for supporting us.